0: Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tikowski. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. As you know, I'm your host, Derek Tarkowski. Thank you guys so much for your patience and allowing me to take, albeit a brief summer break. Um, very excited because today we welcome Amanda Cohen, Director of Product at Resolver, to discuss all things risk. And we are getting back to original tech on Reg roots. We are talking. We're going deep nerd into Reg tech, all of the things that Resolver is doing, um, and why uh, their offerings are so interesting. And touching upon all the different technologies that they use in order to mitigate risk for their clientele. Before we do that. Uh, quick message and thank you uh, to our sponsor for today's episode, BAI. For those of you unfamiliar, BAI is a nonprofit organization, leader of education in the financial services industry. If you have not already, check out their brand new non-bank curriculum at bai.org. Thank you again, BAI, for making today's episode possible. So, Amanda, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about you and your path to resolver.
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And definitely, so I uh, did my master's in anti-money laundering and looking at financial legislation. And, you know, I think coming out of that, I was a little confused about where where do you land? What do you actually do with that now that you've spent all this time thinking about things theoretically? And so, you know, you there's a bank route, there's do you want to be a lawyer, do you want to do your PhD? And and none of those were overly... Um the way that I thought that I was meant to go. And I ended up coming across Resolver. And Resolver is a software platform that is focused on risk intelligence. And so what I was able to do was come in and focus on compliance and how we can productize and standardize that process uh, for a variety of financial institutions. And what was really great about that is it took my passion for what I was really interested in academically and then paired it with this new passion of mine, which is how do you build technology and how do you find the best practices from your customers and then find ways to make that repeatable and then really drive that forward for other organizations and so it's been a really nice pairing for me where i've got to you know marry two things that i really love together and i've grown up i guess with resolver where i i started you know managing regulatory compliance for mid-sized financial institutions exclusively in canada and i've Grown um, into different roles, where now I'm responsible for our risk management application, our internal audit, third-party risk, compliance, and so it's been a nice and natural progression. But it's been a really great journey.
0: So it sounds like you were smarter than I was and opted not to go to law school, um, like uh, like some other poor souls who you know want to get into regulatory and compliance. They're like, we've got a great idea. Let's go to let's go to a whole bunch more schooling um, and get ourselves into a whole heap load of debt. So good for you. Good for you in making a better decision. I don't, that was than
1: I don't know if it was better, but it did mean that I got to call it quits on uh, on the projects and, and school. So that was good.
0: <laughs> um. So uh, in preparing for today's episode, uh, I, I found a quote from your, uh, of yours, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to the audience, and then I want you to sort of react because I thought this quote of yours. Um, sort of really encompassed everything, honestly, that RegTech is about. And it sounds like what Resolver is really about, too. So, listeners, according to Amanda, constant cyber threats, convoluted regulations, complex, fragile supply chains, and the the modern business landscape is an ever-evolving minefield of risk, and businesses employing traditional GRC techniques are struggling to keep up let alone get ahead. But there is good news. New AI-driven tools are giving forward-thinking businesses the power to proactively identify, analyze, and address these novel risks in ways that were unthinkable even a few years ago. So these are big, big words. (laughs) Big words.
1: Yeah. So, I mean... I think the thing with, with risk, with compliance, is that it comes at you from everywhere. So risk is a part of your personal life. It's a part of your business. And so in order to get ahead of those types of challenges, if you're relying on traditional methods of managing your risk, which actually a lot of organizations still use today, is take that Excel spreadsheet. What am I faced with? Oh, we've got cyber risk, like how do we feel we're doing about that? You really don't have a great pulse on what's happening within your organization, what's happening externally, what are happening, what's happening to your competitors uh, or to your third parties. And so what you really need to have the ability to do is understand the breadth of information that's surrounding your organization. And so uh, from my perspective I really do feel as though um if you're exclusively relying on the internal brain power of people to give a finger in the air view of how they think they're doing from a risk perspective then you have a very narrow view that's not really well informed by what's happening out in the market in your landscape and so From a technology perspective, we work really hard to make the process of collecting your risk information as seamless as possible. And that can be regulatory risk, it could be your, you know, um, inherent or sorry, your enterprise risk, your operational risks. We want to make sure that you have all the data that's in your organization to feed those risks so that you understand what's really happening and so a big part of that is if I guess if we're going to look at the regulatory side of it it's like what are your regulatory obligations if you're relying on people every single day to make sure that you've got your a pulse on top of all the regulatory change happening within your business then you're really hiring someone to like monitor the internet and there's there's better ways to do that and so um you know we were talking about this earlier but it's you want your employees using their brain power to solve problems, to drive strategy, to make better decisions for the business. And if all they're doing is out there collecting information to consolidate it to stick it in some report, you're not really data getting value. value.
0: We don't we don't need more data gophers, right? <laughs> and it's so the funny thing is, it's like it's it's not like people are particularly great at that either. No. Like like we can do it, but we miss things. We we, we fail to recognize, you know, perhaps the significance of certain aspects of data when they're looked at in isolation. Like, people, as a general rule, like, we suck at that part. So, you're like, actually really are really vulnerable by doing it like that? Why are we so intent on
1: doing a thing that we sort of suck at? Shouldn't or we focus on the things that we suck less at? <laughs> especially because you're you're paying people and they have so much more value than sifting through something. So if you're going to pay that employee to do something that they're not going to be able to do really particularly, even if they're great at it, like there's still things you're going to miss. There's still context. There's things going on that it's just impossible to monitor as one human being. Shift that outside of of what you're doing. Rely on technology. Use other sources to validate that. You don't need to just cold turkey say, okay, someone else has got it covered, but Allow those systems to do that for you so that they can analyze the output?
0: So, there's been a few different studies. Thomson Reuter did a study. um, Other organizations have done studies regarding the adoption of reg tech generally in business. And, you know, a few years ago, everyone, it was reg tech was a major buzzword. There was lots of interest, but adoption has generally been slow of reg tech, um, as opposed to other types of technology that go to more, I I would say, core business functions. You know, everyone's really jazzed about the use of AI for underwriting, but then you talk about the use of AI for regulatory risk and compliance, and people are like pumping the brakes. I guess in your role, given what you do uh, with products at Resolver, have you sort of observed the sort of, I don't know, Snail's pace of, of reg tech adoption that I think a lot of the empirical data
1: has shown. And why, and if so, why do you think that is? So I would say there's two things. One is that there's a lot of organizations that want to build it themselves. And so when you're relying on internal project projects, you're looking at you know getting one or two internal developers, they want to build it their own technology. And that's a big undertaking. And so your projects are slow because you don't have enough resources to build it. But then also, you know, when that project's over, it's not being maintained. And then are you really getting the value? You need people to constantly invest in this kind of infrastructure to make sure that you're constantly improving it. You're getting the insights you need. So I do think one of the misconceptions is that building it internally is maybe your best bet. When there's so many other providers that you could rely on, and then it's like pay the service for that. And, um... Allow your developers or your internal stakeholders to build things that that hit the business that, that are really visible. Like compliance risks are often seen as a cost center. So it's like let's not invest all of this on this internal development and let's let people who can continuously invest in the improvement of your technology take that on for you. So I would say that's one barrier we see. Um, is the internal decision to build it themselves. And then secondary, I think there's there's this misconception that you have to do it all at one time. And so people think, oh, well, I'm going to adopt some kind of reg tech and I have to you know, that means I need to have this and this and this all developed, all figured out before we can get going. And it's not the case. Like you really do want to find technology that can scale with you. And so today, are you ready to just make sure you're tracking the regulatory obligations that you have to adhere to? And you want to make sure you've got that inventory. Okay, great. Start there. That's a really good starting point. And then let's layer on. Okay, now how can we engage with the business to make sure that they are adhering to the regulations? Okay. is that sort
0: of the approach that Resolver takes? Because there's a number of different offerings um, that Resolver offers to. Slightly redundant there. Number of offerings that Resolver offers to its clients, um, but it's also true there's there's a few different areas where you guys provide a lot of value. And is that sort of your approach? Like you don't need you don't need to order like the full chef's tasting menu. Like we we
1: can start with an appetizer here and there and see see how you like the platform. That's exactly it. And and not only just do you not need to take advantage of, you know, audit risk compliance all at one time. You don't need to do every step of the process first. Like layer it on. Maybe you're not quite ready to do really robust testing and compliance audits. Okay, well let's just start with doing your control self assessments and really getting a grasp of how we're adhering to these regulations this I find that organizations that attempt to do it all at once they overcomplicate what they're trying to achieve and then it end up it ends up just being a barrier to what they're trying to do so when decision paralysis
0: right like everyone starts freaking out it's like oh my god there's too much and then everything
1: and then it doesn't get used and it's like well just do it slowly roll it out slowly get it people used to it and that's going to have a much better adoption rate and Also, you're going to be seen as this person who's implemented something that's really driven change at your company. You'd be astounded at how many people start with our technology and then like they use that as their steps of a promotion because they've been able to implement and drive change within their organization.
0: It would seem to me that one area that might be sort of easy, low-hanging fruit for an organization that wants to adopt reg tech, but is like sort of having, um, you know, they, they can't sort of get over the mental barrier of, all of these things that they have to do. Aside from sort of like tracking rules and regulations and doing internal audits and gap analysis and all of those things, something as simple as just like managing our managing an organization's incidents is something that organizations still continue to really struggle with. What are your thoughts about sort of an incident management process
1: as being like a nice little entryway into reg tech adoption? I think that's a great way to get started. There's so many types of compliance infractions that you need to track. So they could be privacy breaches, um, things, uh, cyber breaches, things that are coming out of customer complaints, um, suspicious transactions. And so you're probably looking at all of these different types of incidents, either like in a siloed tool or they get emailed to you. And if you just start by saying like, okay, anything that's occurring, let's feed that into our program. People don't need to log into a system. They can just submit through email and it ends up in this portal. You can start to understand what types of behavior are actually occurring within your business. And so something that we find really valuable at Resolver and something that we think really um, differentiates us in the market is that when you start tracking incidents, you start to understand how well the controls, policies, procedures you have in place are actually Working, because you might assume that some of these programs, like our customers, absolutely love us. They just everything that we do, we don't see any any pushback. Like that's no problem. And then when you start to get that information coming in, it's like, okay, well maybe we do have a different problem than we thought. We we weren't maybe tracking it properly, or we weren't seeing those types of incidents get raised. And so when you marry those two together, uh, you start to understand whether the things you have in place that you believe are working really well are in fact working as well as you think.
0: So as a practitioner, as a lawyer, um, what I really love about that sort of as being like, if you're going to dip a pinky toe into the reg tech world, having incident management be a good starting point is because there has not been a regulatory inquiry that I've ever handled for a client where those types of trends and analyses and data are not central to whatever information or request or whatever inquiry is being made regulators want to know that you are tracking the those data points on a systematic basis and not just tracking them but actually looking at them and analyzing them so from a data perspective if you're not gathering it properly or if it's if if all of your fallible humans are the ones sort of like pulling this information together and gathering it like any good programmer will tell you like garbage in garbage out if it's if the data's haphazardly put together to begin with, or doesn't give a complete picture of the good, the bad, and, uh, you know, hopefully not too ugly, but the ugly as well, you're not presenting a clear picture to the regulators. And when you don't have a grasp of what your own data is telling you from a lawyer's perspective, like how am I supposed to defend you? And then how are you supposed to advocate and defend yourselves as you're getting audited by your licensing bodies or, you know, you have to, you know, sit for an examination and all of these things are so routine now, right? It's not a question of do you get an inquiry? It's when you get the inquiry and are you going to be prepared for the inquiry and really making sure that your organization is, is buttoned up and organized and can present information in a coherent manner. That's not only good for internally, your business, your bottom line, your customers. It's so good for the regulatory bodies. It, they love it so much because it want, it makes their job so much easier. It makes my job easier. You're spending less money on lawyers. Hooray, less money on lawyers. Um, but it really is not, all, like there, to me, there's an immediate ROI because it's not just this bucket um, that's going to be used internally. It's like, no, this is really good, valuable information that all of our outside counsel, our consultants, our accountants, everybody can use day one.
1: Like we can use that day one. Um, Well, you can also use it to drive improvement. So if you, you know, now that you've got a grasp of what's happening, you've been able to um, report it properly to your regulator. You've been able to provide it with all those stakeholders who need access to it. Okay, what are you going to do about it? And how are we going to track the fact that we're bringing it down? What's interesting is generally when someone implements our incident management program, you actually see their incident, uh, uptick because people previously weren't capturing that information. So it does look almost like you're doing worse before you get better because all of this information was out there. It's not like these incidents weren't occurring, but no one was talking about them and no one was tracking them. And so if you didn't have visibility into them, you know, what, what things are you missing as a part of your organization and, and how catastrophic could that be if you didn't have that level of insight into it?
0: Well, not only that, I mean, I also think from a corporate governance perspective, um, the leadership of organizations, the C-suite, your boards of directors, your audit committees, all of those bodies have really important fiduciary responsibilities to the organization. And if they're not getting a clear picture of sort of what the full risk landscape is or what the full incident landscape is, they can't exercise those duties to the best of their abilities. Um, so this is also a massively important tool to keep your boards informed, to keep your audit committees informed, to make sure that all your public disclosures are accurate. It's important from an investor relations standpoint. Um, and I agree with you, Amanda, everything gets so underreported at the beginning. And that's not good, right? That's not good. Because then it's my job later, like when you see what appears on paper to be a spike, it's not really a spike. It's really just finally an accurate snapshot of what the current risk state of your business is, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think, too, on the audit committee side or even just auditors, if there's a lot of times when audit plans are driven on cycles, And so they're doing their testing because it's been two years and that risk level is relatively high. And so you're going to dig into that part of the business. It's like, well, how accurate is that? And what happened over the last two years? And should we even test that? Or is it like so insignificant, but this other part of the business has these like concerns and these red flags that we need to dig into. And so you're now starting to test in areas where it makes the most sense, where it brings the most value, where you can uncover things, as opposed to doing some kind of rolling audit test plan that really doesn't bring you the value that you need. Um, Right, it's
0: It's processes that are divorced from reality and that are not Mm data-driven processes. It's just more check the box, go through the motions type situations, which is, I can tell you based on personal experience with the regulators, they're real tired of that. They're like, yeah, like, great. We're glad that you're doing that. But why aren't you doing these other things? Like one is not a replacement for the other. So great. You're doing your regularly scheduled penetration testing for cybersecurity. Terrific. But, you know, Last year, you had three examples of different phishing scams that infiltrated your organization. Why haven't you done a tabletop exercise with your employees to manage X, Y, and Z? As an organization, you need to have a good answer for that. And you also need to know, like, oh, we did have an email phishing problem. Mm-hmm. Why didn't we do additional exactly. training or, or anything to address that? Um So I love the idea of technology being able to basically like percolate all of the things that we need to be paying attention to instead of the things that we think we should be paying attention to because that's what's been in the manual for so long. And we just have to, you know, be good little soldiers checking off all of our little boxes. Um, And I think that the regulators more and more are going to demand that. And that's, I mean it's true in Canada. It's true in the United States. It's definitely true in Europe. um, It's, and it's not changing anytime soon. I don't see, I don't see us
1: going back. No. And interestingly, which I think is a trend that we're seeing more and more of people were always really hesitant to share their, I mean, and they still are hesitant to share their information with audit, hesitant to share their information with regulators, but the change we're seeing is that these organizations who feel like they're on top of things are much more flexible and open to saying okay to the regulator do you want just access to some of these reports so you could log in and you can take advantage of it you can pull the information when you need to as opposed to and it sounds I know a lot of people probably aren't feeling like that's incredible. oh my god like my
0: little lawyer heart just like I just got like a little I know in my chest. <laughs> but <I'm gonna> <laughs> You're, you're giving this a like, cardiac episode, Amanda. I don't know if I would go that far with a client yet, but like conceptually, I dig it.
1: Actually, it's, it's not. I don't think there's a lot of people there, but you're seeing it. We're seeing it as part of RFPs. We're seeing it as people are coming in and saying, how can I make that process easier to share the information? And obviously, the information is very combed through what gets pushed out there is the picture that they're presenting, but it is becoming one of those areas where they want to take that stuff out and allow people to be a little bit more self-sufficient. And I say a little, <laughs> we're not. out. Totally no, no, for certain organizations that sit under
0: supervision of some of these large regulators, it's an interesting concept because rather than having to do like your 60 day fire drill um, before, you know, uh, a regulator comes to do a supervisory exam. The notion of if you've had access to this information all along, we're not hiding anything. Um, it's very appealing to or can be very appealing to a lot of organizations. And then a regulator is like forced to like look real hard being like, well, do we actually do we actually want that? Theoretically, they want that. But, but do they actually? Because that also creates an additional burden on them that they are presumed to have to be looking at it. Um, and, uh, you know, whether or not they they actually are to the extent that they actually are, I think probably varies um, by organization and where they think that the higher risk for for them from a oversight perspective
1: is. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many of those initial concepts really come to fruition. But the concept, if people... I do think you're right. Does the regulator actually want to take the time? Are they really doing those things when they're just, you know, not in the process of an audit or not in the process of working with you specifically? I don't know. But it it is something that we're seeing more traction on. And we'll see, I guess, over the next year or two, if that's something that people truly want to implement into their product.
0: Yeah. And, and then there's also the difference between like the prudential regulators and then just the, those who are fo- focused on enforcement. And there's so much overlap and information sharing uh, amongst all of them. Um, but I, I definitely, I reacted to your statement the way sometimes my clients react to me, suggesting that we we may want to do a self-disclosure. To <laughs> discover a problem. Like, Why would we do that? And I was like, well, you know, we're in. There is an advantage. There are some brownie points to be gained sometimes by raising your hand and saying, we have an issue, but here's how we've already corrected it. Mm -hmm. And again, you're not able to do what I, I always want to make sure that my clients are on the right side of the regulators, right? And it's not to say that mistakes don't happen or that issues don't happen. Of course they do. But it is about how you respond, react and manage them and try to remediate Mm -hmm. going forward. I love the idea of when you have that data, like what you're talking about at your fingertips, you are so much more empowered to pick and choose where you want to undertake that effort. Um, And you're doing it earlier and you're not. And I have to imagine that the speed at which that information is available is a hundred thousand times faster than waiting for a human to sort of compile all this information, review it, report it. Um, Then their supervisors find holes in it and they say, what about this? What about that? Um, You're really expediting that analysis process, which I I can tell you that from a legal perspective is completely invaluable to an organization who has to defend themselves or prepare for risk. And even just run run of the mill stuff, like like a litigation demand from a customer or, you know, a consumer complaint or any number of inputs and channels of, you know, someone wanting to complain about something, you now are empowered with real time information with how to respond. Um, Whereas otherwise it would be a really long lag time,
1: really long. Well, we had a customer that spent a year and a half building their regulatory inventory. They operate in, I think seven countries, and a year and a half building the regulatory inventory for one, and it's like, well, how are you gonna scale your bit how are you gonna scale your business at that speed and then with regulatory technology, um we were able to take that i mean there's a the year and a half, and then we reproduced essentially the same work within like a month and a bit and so and that was just the initial once you've done it once, then it's repeatable it's con- we're constantly tracking. Um, or, or the third party that we work with is constantly tracking your obligations. They're giving you updates. They're telling you exactly every time something changes. And so like someone's time for a year and a half is a, is a really long time when that problem can get solved much faster. And then also you're not missing anything moving forward. It's all maintained, tracked and monitored for you moving forward.
0: Yeah, I love it. You're speaking to my nerdy, (laughs) nerdy heart. It's, it's terrific. Um, So we're sort of getting like close to our time. If there was anything else about Resolver that you wanted um, listeners to really like walk away with, or if there's like one parting thought you wanted to leave listeners with about the organization or reg tech or any other nerdy thing that you think is really important, what would it be?
1: I think that it's not as overwhelming as you think. And if you're struggling to get started um, whether it's us, whether it's whatever provider that you choose to work with, ask them for a, a bit of a vision of how you implement something and then how you build it out. You don't need to do everything day one. Help them map out what your journey looks like over the first year or two years and the types of value that you're going to get out of that solution so that you can piecemeal it into something that's actually manageable, something that you feel like you can you can take on. Um, because a lot of these teams are, are Really small, and you're working, you are wearing seven different hats, and you're trying to do all of these things. And so, break it into manageable chunks, and then I think you'll be much more successful.
0: So, if any of my listeners want to learn more about you or Resolver, where should they
1: go? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Amanda Cohen or resolver.com, and you can get a hold of us.
0: Awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we'll definitely like love to have you back to hear more about what Resolver is doing. And hopefully by that time, RegTech adoption will be on the rise. <laughs> um, not like slowly uh, extracting teeth. Um, but everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. It's so great to be back from our short summer break. Um, until
1: next time. Thank you so much.